Your heart races as the seconds tick down, teeth clenching as players move around the field. You slip to the edge of your seat, grasping, trying not to blink as to not miss a thing. Until... The LPL has never won before, but that will change today. The crownless are finally king, and Invictus Gaming are your 2018 world champions. In 2018, over 200 million people were watching this moment as the Chinese Invictus Gaming team won against Europe's Fnatic at the 2018 League of Legends World Championship. Summoners Cup. Sorry, the Summoners Cup. This tournament holds the title of most-watched esports event to date, with viewership far above that of events like the Super Bowl. Electronic sports, or esports, is about to become a billion-dollar industry, with an estimated viewership of 454 million worldwide. But despite this popularity, there are still many who have no idea what esports even is. Well, that's what I'm here for. Want to learn what esports is, why people like watching other people play video games, and how it's affecting the wider Asia-Pacific? Press any key to continue. Monsoon Project Podcast, where we dive into some of the most perplexing and pressing issues facing the Asia-Pacific today. As the platform for student voices across the Asia-Pacific, we are based at the Crawford School of the Australian National University, and we welcome any student with an interest in Asia-Pacific affairs to write for us. Just head on over to themonsoonproject.org or follow us on Twitter at monsoon underscore project to never miss a thing. My name is Emily Lyon, and I'll be your Game Master for today. Level 1. Video games are a part of everyone's lives. From Pong to Fortnite, Space Invaders to Minecraft, there is a game for everyone. With games being this ubiquitous, the esports industry has emerged and flourished into what it is today. But what is esports? Uh, so I actually get this a lot. That's Syra Mueller. Hi, I'm Syra Mueller, the Director of Content at G Esports. The easiest way to explain esports is competitive video games. That's sort of like the the very brief explanation. You can compare it with traditional sports like football, just in a virtual environment. And that's Tobias Schultz. My name is Tobias Schultz, and I'm assistant professor at the University of Siegen. So the answer to the question, what is esports? Esports is competitive video gaming, but in a slightly longer explanation? In sort of a slightly longer explanation, it would be the exact same as sports teams, just in video games, right? Like you have the same structure. You have the business side, you have the marketing people, you have the content people, you have your sales people, and then you also have the team managers and the coaches and the players, and the players have, you know, psychologists and they have personal trainers. So it's everything that a sports team has. It's just they're competing in various different video games. For as long as there have been video games, there have been people trying to beat others at said video games. In 1972, students at Stanford University saw a flyer taped to a notice board advertising the first intergalactic space war Olympics. Featuring a prize of a year subscription to Rolling Stone and free beer for all, this after-hours college lab hosted the world's first known video gaming tournament. But then the 80s came, and with that came cheaper computers and the rise of arcades and home gaming consoles. Companies like Japan's Nintendo and Sega were producing consoles and games that, if you were a hip teen in the 80s with pocket money to spare, you simply had to have. 
Whether by having an NES at home, a friend with an Atari, or spending afternoons at the arcade, a generation of kids grew up on the entertainment, challenge, and excitement that comes from video games. And nowhere is this more evident than in South Korea. Programming as we know it today basically exists because of its growth in South Korea as an esports juggernaut. Seoul is a wonderful city. Walking down the streets in the evening, you will likely walk past brightly lit, invitingly warm places, with signs declaring them as PC bungs. PC bungs, literally meaning PC rooms, are internet cafes that are littered throughout South Korea. PC bungs are equipped with top-level equipment, the best computer systems, the comfiest chairs and the fastest internet. Online games and PC bungs surged in popularity after South Korea built its national broadband network in the 90s. This is where most of the earliest esports players got their starts. They're going out alone or with friends to a PC bung to play online games together, hone their skills and engage in South Korea's national pastime. There is already second or even third generation of players growing up in an environment that says video gaming is okay. It is a valid career option. You can be a star, you can make a profit out of it. And that's the part where uh, South Korea has a major advantage beyond any other country. South Korea is also a trailblazer for governance and legitimizing esports. It is, in a certain way, the most traditional way. You have a ministry, you have a government who is supporting it, you have uh, companies who have long-term investment. The Korea Esports Association, or KESPA, was formed in 2000 under the Ministry of Culture, Sports and Tourism. KESPA, as a government-approved organization, manages the broadcasting of esports, formation of new events, player conditions and treatment, and in general, promotes the sport as, well, a legitimate sport it's culturally accepted. I mean, if you think about it, uh, they already had a, a big tournament with thousands of thousands of viewers back in 2000. It's for these reasons that South Korean players dominate in esports. There has been a decrease recently. Many see the esports industry in South Korea as plateauing, instead seeing the value in Korean players. What I found fascinating uh, when I was talking with uh, people there, they don't see South Korea as this growing environment for esports, but as a source of talent, as a source of players, as a source of coaches who conquer the world. And if you look at some games, like for example Overwatch, um, where I think 50% of the players are from South Korea and only one team is from South Korea. Korean gaming culture also puts a very heavy emphasis on constant practice and improvement. These elements, gaming culture, government support, PC bungs, they all come together to make South Korea one of esports powerhouses. In South Korea, esports is a legitimate sport, a genuine career path. But this view isn't proliferating quickly throughout the rest of Asia for many reasons, key among them being legitimacy. Convincing people that esports is a genuine and legitimate sport is a challenge. There is this perception of video games as, as lazy, passive. The image of the lazy gamer living in his parents' basement is certainly still prevalent.
It's a very big issue in the esports community. I, that's one reason why any sort of traditional sports team that gets in is huge news in the esports industry because it's that level of being recognized from something that is more established and seen as, you know, perhaps more reputable because it's been around for so long that esports people crave. There are an increasing amount of traditional sports teams investing time and money into esports. Football teams like West Ham, Man City and Sporting Lisbon have all dipped their toes into FIFA esports. FIFA being the football simulation game you bought for your uncle once and he's never played it. Similar has happened with the NBA 2K League, an esports initiative with 21 NBA teams on board, including the Lakers, Timberwolves and Hawks. Traditional sports and esports are quite similar. In their competitive structure, similar business models, as well as players' rigorous training regimes, risk of injury and avid, and sometimes too avid, support from fans. But not everyone in the community agrees that we should be looking towards traditional sports. Who cares what traditional sports is saying? Who cares what traditional media is saying? We had this discussion about traditional media for ages and then Twitch comes around and now we created our own media ecosystem where um, traditional media is now joining in. They love that attention from anyone that's sort of outside of esports because they do feel like it legitimizes the industry a little bit more. And it, it plays into that nerd culture a little bit as well, right? It's like, hey, we're not just nerds. There are all of these other people who aren't necessarily nerds that are getting into this or that like this or that pay attention to this. And we already see it today in how many sports organizations invest in esports. Because we are a young audience, we are digital, and sports is turning grey. Traditional sports are really struggling to connect with their young audiences, but maybe their continued interest in esports will be mutually beneficial. But this is definitely only a small part in the ongoing desire for esports to be seen as legitimate. And it will eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, be seen as more legitimate. But only time will tell. Esports has grown from a tiny lab in America to a booming international industry. And Asia has always had deep roots in the video game industry. And South Korea is without a doubt one of the biggest players in esports today. There's still a lot for the industry to address and major hurdles for esports to overcome before being seen as legitimate. But first, I must say, hey, congratulations. You now know what esports is. Level 2. The 90s and 2000s saw the serious growth of esports, whether it be in a controlled, organised South Korean manner or a more disjointed American one. But this frantic and ramshackled attitude towards the industry has shifted and needed to shift to continue to grow as it has. Yes, I'm about to discuss the business of gaming. No, don't don't press pause. I promise. God, I promise I won't make video games boring. I'll be quick. I promise. First, let me give you a general gist of what the industry looks like. Game developers. Primary stakeholders are definitely the, the game developers who create the video games and who have the intellectual property of those video games. Someone makes the games that are played. Large multinational game developers, small independent teams, they all slave away to create engaging and successful games. Whatever the type, someone is creating the court and the tools and the rules. As Syrah noted, right? Like no one owns basketball. The difference obviously with esports is these games are owned by developers. They own the IP. It's up to them to completely shift everything they want to do with a game. This can be good and bad. On one hand, you have someone that is making an incredible game and they can really help create and shape the environment around it. On the other hand, 
I mean, take Fortnite, for example. You know, the World Cup qualifiers are going on right now. They completely change the game. They take away various different weapons. They tweak various different stats on different weapons, whatever it happens to be. And all of a sudden, everyone who is trying to compete, qualify for this World Cup, has to relearn the game or really like dive in and figure out how they can use those either to their advantage or how it could be a disadvantage when they're competing in these qualifiers. Those who hold the intellectual property and development rights to a game have a lot of power in the esports industry. On the other hand, it can also be good because nothing ever really gets stale. So it really kind of sorts through those people that are adaptable and that can be super competitive because they're good at you know, changing things up at the last minute. I think it just depends as well on like the timing. You know, if it like, for example, if it's the middle of the World Cup qualifier, it's not a good idea to like shake things up at a really high level. There is a very broad range of this relationship of game developer and esport. Some with a tighter control than others, some with a laissez-faire do-it-you-want approach. And that supports the dynamic of esports. So we see new approaches, we see new combinations of game developer and the industry. And there is no one best way. And that's a good thing in my uh, perspective. Any game can technically be an esports game, but a compelling esports game is a very different story. You can roughly break these down by their genres. So we have first-person shooters, think Call of Duty and Overwatch, real-time strategy games like StarCraft, fighting games like Street Fighter, sports games like FIFA and NBA 2K, and multiplayer online battle arena games, a long name but a literal name, like Dota 2 and League of Legends. Tournament organizers. Then there are tournament organizers who create the environment in which professional esports can happen. ESL is a massive tournament organiser and the oldest operational esports company to date. They host global competitions. They work closely with game publishers and regional organisations. These competitions range from open to pro with a reported $60 million in revenue in 2016. It's these guys that facilitate the games, selling broadcast rights, setting up the arenas and matches and players. Then the players and the player organizations who are supporting each other to uh, have uh, interesting video games. Any sport needs players. Esports clubs often run multiple squads, usually in different games, with players who have worked their way up from the ladder from open to major to pros by themselves or as part of the larger esports training club. So Genji is a global uh, esports organization. We have teams in China. We have teams in Seoul and Korea. We have teams here in the US. And so we really try to kind of bring all of our markets together. You know, esports is extremely global and esports organizations should reflect that globalization, at least in my opinion. Being a professional video gamer isn't as glorious as you would believe. Although regimes vary from game to game, even team to team, strict diets, long daily practices, constant improvement and tight schedules are far from uncommon, with players pushing themselves to improve physically and mentally, sometimes to dangerous extremes. Secondary stakeholders. Then you have those secondary stakeholders who support you with infrastructure. So organizations like Twitch are supporting esports through the streaming platform. Twitch is an online platform for people to live stream, predominantly gaming. These live streaming platforms let these esports events be watched by millions in real time around the globe. Outside of Twitch and other streaming platforms, you have things like the media, investors, hardware providers, the audience itself. So esports is a growing industry with businesses and investments and actual stakeholders. It's certainly a far cry from the disjointed nature of the early 2000s. I'll give you that. But still, 
how on earth does this industry make any money? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. I mean, uh, I'm constantly uh, bickering about it, how we are making money, um, because it is still something where uh, many companies are burning money. So, I mean, different teams do things differently, right? Um, 100 Thieves makes a lot of its money from merchandise. For a lot of esports organizations, it's via sales and sponsorships. So it's partnering with other brands either that want to get into esports or brands that are endemic to esports that, you know, want to sponsor your various different teams, get, you know, that viewership on their logo or whatever it happens to be. Esports is a coveted market in terms of viewership. You know, it's like the 18 to 35 year olds that, you know, love video games and are online all the time and are big consumers. Esports is becoming more and more professional each year, improving contracts and business models and revenue flows and becoming a serious contender and way of reaching an incredibly difficult market. But Emily, I hear you asking, this all sounds well and good, but you said this is important for Asia. How on earth is this important for Asia? Was this all just an excuse to talk about video games for 20 minutes? Well, dear listener, firstly, yes, of course this is all just an excuse to talk about video games, but I contend to you this. Nowhere is more primed and ready to benefit from the growth of esports than Southeast Asia. Level 3 As I've already mentioned, South Korea drove so much of the growth and prestige of esports and is now one of the best sources of talent in the industry. But Southeast Asia is really where the industry is looking to next. There's a big growth, uh, especially uh, Vietnam is becoming a a major player in Southeast Asia as they realized it is a way to reach the young audience, it is a way to promote growth and to promote the digitization. Southeast Asia is the fastest growing region for esports, with an estimated 31.9 million fans. The big six, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and the Philippines, account for over 98% of esports traffic here. The gaming market in the Asia-Pacific itself is the biggest in the world, with over $66.2 billion made in 2018. But why is Southeast Asia growing now? Well, part of the reason is the fact that it's cheaper and easier than ever to play. So many more people in the world have mobile phones compared to having a high-end PC or a gaming console. So it's much, much, much more accessible for a larger demographic of people. Mobile gaming is an eSport and one that more people have access to than PC gaming. But then, a lot of this growth comes down to cultural acceptance of gaming. In 2018, eSports was included in the Asian Games as a demonstration sport and is potentially a medaled event at the 2022 Games. Many Western companies have still or still struggle uh, reaching Southeast Asia as a market and video games or esports is a way to reach this audience. Whether it be localization and language issues, cultural boundaries or just plain logistical issues, large esports sponsors have been reticent to join other organizations in jumping into this growing region. And that's the the fascinating part where I will think that in uh, the next few years, uh, Southeast Asia will have major companies, major organizations emerging out of this industry because all of those countries are young. All of those countries are trying to um, make a digitized environment. And esports is a major uh, growth factor for that. It will be interesting to observe how it uh, grows. Video games are fundamentally meant to be entertaining. Challenging, thought-provoking, scary, yes, but entertaining at the end of the day. 
A crowded bus ride is made bearable by tapping away at infuriating puzzles. A long, stressful day can be resolved by putting your feet up and managing your imaginary football team. Esports has developed as an offshoot of this entertainment, a way for gamers to see their skills and interests legitimised and enjoy some good old-fashioned competition. From basements, bedrooms and internet cafes with shoddy connections to full arenas and million-dollar deals, esports has come a long, long way. And it's still got a long way to go! It'll be incredibly interesting to see in the next few years just how Southeast Asia's role grows and how this industry develops. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something new. Again, thank you so much to Syra and Tobias for chatting with me. And don't forget to check out the Monsoon Project on all the social media you deign to inhabit. And go play some video games. <laughs>